Uh, you'll see there's a little place setting over here um, with, with bread that I think is real. It is. It's, it's real bread. Uh, it's going to be over here because if we brought it too far this way, then it was going to block the beautiful, you know, Jala. Uh, and we can't, we need to be able to have a visual on Jala. But I'll, I'll, this will make sense in a few minutes. I'll come back to that. We're in a series called Love Where You Live. And it's not just about loving the sand and the surf and the sexy people. I know that some of you love where you live for those reasons, but this is different. This is, this is saying that we're intentionally actively, like a verb, loving where we live, that it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus, and even those of you who are just exploring what it means to follow Jesus, it's still, you, you get your mind around, you can get excited about being intentional about loving where we live. Even if you, those of you who've never gone to church in your life or had bad experiences and have just come back to church, what I already know about you is that what you hope to see is a church that actually cares about the community around it, right? And that's, that's who we are as a community. And so we've been in this series. We're going to continue in this series. And as I was studying, I came across a quote of one of our national leaders, and he was asked what the biggest need for our American cities is in this time and in this place. And his answer was very simple. He said, good neighbors. Not what you would have expected, right? But he said, good neighbors. That's the biggest need for our American cities, because when you have more good neighbors, you have less crime, you have less loneliness, you have less graffiti and destruction and other things that go on, and you have more just goodwill. And Jesus has been talking about that for a long time. If, if, you've, if you're newer to things, when, when Jesus was asked, What's the most important thing about this life? What's the most important thing written in the scriptures? He said, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving other people are linked. You cannot separate them. You cannot have this great, amazing relationship with God and not care about other people. It doesn't work that way. God says that those things are connected, that in a lot of ways we express our love for God by how well we love other people. And here's the thing. We're going to talk about one of the basic ways, one of the, one of the fundamental ways that might be kind of surprising to you about how that love is expressed, and it's through hospitality. And that's where we're going this morning. Uh, but as, as I, I wanted to also help you consider that our lives change the more we kind of aim at loving God. So, so the more you walk with God, the more you talk with God, you, you begin to become more like him. And you've, if you've met somebody ever that had this kind of like event where they realized that the way that they were living was not working and that they wanted to kind of surrender to God and they met Jesus, and they accepted forgiveness, you know, that, that, that kind of story, and then you saw them years later, and they were a different person. Have you ever seen someone like that? It's just like, it just feels like it's a different person. It doesn't just happen overnight. There's a process, because even when I say, hey, I want to follow you, God, and I, I, I want to kind of do this life with you, God, I don't just change instantly. I still have habits and patterns and tendencies and weaknesses that kind of go along with me. But the more I say yes, the more I walk with, the more I engage with, the more I think about, the more I know this God, slowly but surely my life starts to change. 
And uh, as my grandfather used to say, you've heard me say before, and you'll hear me say it a hundred more times, my grandfather was famous for saying, I'm not who I probably should be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be, right? And that's true for, that's true for a lot of us. We're probably not where we should be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. Thank, thank God I'm not where I was. And so we enter in, in this life, in this ongoing journey of becoming more and more like God and becoming more and more the person who we always intended us to be. And I want us to look at this uh, short passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, I accidentally left it off of uh, your outline, but that's where we're going. It'll be on the screen. Here's verse 4. It says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things, they do. And so they slander you. How many of you know what that's like? You used to be this way and you used to do those things and hang out and do those kinds of activity, whatever it is, that that was the way of life. And now I don't do that anymore because I see that that doesn't lead anywhere. That's just kind of a destructive pattern of, going, of getting nowhere. And I made those decisions, but now there's a few people, not everyone, but there's a few of my old friends that now talk bad about me. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 just, it's just a deal because when someone is locked in a pattern of destructiveness and that's just kind of all they know and that's, the, and that's their world, it's offensive when someone pulls themselves out of it. And even if it's for their own good and they're healthy now and their relationships are healthy now, you still are kind of mad because you think it's a judgment on you. Even if they're not judging you, you feel like it is because you're still here. You know what I mean? And so people speak negative and they talk negative and they, and they kind of try to... Tear you down. And that's just, that's just part of the deal. That's just part of life. And the interesting thing to me uh, is that when Peter was writing this letter to followers of Jesus, there was a very interesting thing that was going on in that time. Historians think that he wrote this letter right after Nero had burned Rome to the ground. Nero was this crazy emperor, and he was, he was literally like certifiably insane. And he lit Rome on fire. You'll find it in your history books. He lit Rome on fire to try to burn away the extra stuff so that he could build these new monuments to himself. He wanted marble. He wanted new palaces. And so he lit... Rome on fire. But then the people are obviously really angry about it, and so he blamed it on the Christians. He blamed it on the followers of Jesus because he said, these are crazy people. They're following this Jesus person. Uh, they, they did it. Nero was trying to kill Christians, and he did all kinds of torturous, crazy things to Christians. But part of what he did was give them a bad name. He started rumors about them. There was already kind of a general uh, rumor spread about Christians that they were cannibals because they whispered uh, about eating in their homes the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, which is like bread and, and wine. But people thought, oh, are they cannibals? Right? So there were rumors spreading about them, and they were in fear of their lives in a lot of ways. And how do you and I respond when we're threatened? or when people are gossiping about us, or when people are spreading rumors about us? What's our natural tendency? Defensiveness, right? I mean, it's just like, I, I don't want anything to do with you. You're spreading rumors about me? Forget you. I, I, I don't want, 
right? And we keep people at arm's length. We insulate. We isolate. We protect ourselves. We don't want to engage with this culture that doesn't like us, that's mean to us, that's gossiping about us, that's spreading harsh rumors about us, that's putting us in an unsafe place. But the early followers of Jesus did the exact opposite. They welcomed people all the more. They engaged with people even more generously. They loved even the people who were persecuting them and spreading rumors about them. And Peter writes to them not to say, hey, stay away from all the bad people in the world. But he says, no, 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 no. I want you to endure, to persevere, and to keep on loving them. It's fascinating. Look at what he says in verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist, right? He's not, he's not denying that sin is real and we got to deal with sin. But what he's saying is that we should be quick to forgive and to release sin and not hold offense because all of our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus wiped out all of our sins and there is no guilt or shame that hangs over us. So, so let God's love flow through you and cover over a multitude of sins. And then he says this. This is kind of where we get down to the nitty-gritty practical of this morning. It's verse 9. And cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Even though there's all this oppression, even though you, you're not even sure that your family is safe, even though there's rumors being spread about you, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, don't forget to show hospitality to even strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without knowing it. That'd be cool. And that's what the early followers of Jesus became known for. They became known for their hospitality. They became known for their generosity. They became known for their love. Not religiousness, not rules and regulations, not that they're somewhere in and some are out and they're comparing themselves. Not that stuff. Hospitality, love, generosity. Taking in strangers, caring for those who are sick and in need, sharing meals. In fact, they became so known for it that about a hundred years later, after Peter had written this, there was a Roman official who was reporting to the new emperor in that day, and he says this to the emperor about the followers of Jesus that he's just so baffled by. He says, they do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness of their smallness. Every one of them has... If 
every one of them who has anything to give ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. They give it to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of his needs. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him. And in this way, they can supply a poor man with food that he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians, and this is their manner of life. Wouldn't that be great if that's how we were known? In a time and in a place where we don't experience insane oppression here in this country of freedom, in a time and a place where there's a lot of us that are pretty comfortable and there's a lot of us that are loving where we live in a very material way, what if we could be known like that? What if it was our hospitality, our generosity, our love, our grace that just kind of extended out from this church, from our families, from our lives. And that's what followers of Jesus were known for in this day and age, in this place. How many of you watch HGTV? Were you ready for that transition? <clears throat> What's your favorite show on HGTV, be honest? House Hunters, Flipper Flop. What was it? Fixer Upper. Property Brothers. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, House Hunters for a moment. That's the show, if you haven't watched it, uh, we don't have that cable anymore, so it's not, we used to watch some of that, quite a bit of that. Uh, uh, now we're more limited, uh, but <clears throat> or now we're just doing fixer-upper type stuff, actually. But she's... Uh, <laughs> 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 She said, she said, are we? Yeah. <laughs> and that's fair. <clears throat> House Hunters is about, uh, is that show where people, they decide that they need to move and they're, uh, and they're moving to a new location for whatever reason. And so the, the show, the producers, the people, the, the agent, they take them on this journey of three different house options, right? And so they go and they visit these three and the Husband and the wife usually are kind of talking back and forth about what is it going to be? Are we going to choose this one? And then there's this like commentator person that comes on at the end to really kind of build up the intensity and the tension of the moment because no, no one spends this much money in their life. Like this is the big expense. And so there's all kinds of oh, stress and what are we going to do and what are we going to buy? And so the, the, the person will come on the television and they'll say, Josh and Angelina are looking for a new home for their family of five. Will they choose? House number one, that's move-in ready, but far from the current neighborhood. <laughs> house number two, that's a bit dated, but in close proximity to their kid's school. Or house number three, that's a total fixer-upper, but well below their budget, right? And you're just like, number two, number two, pick number two. She clearly wants number one, but you should go with number two. You know, the tension. <laughs> and they use... They use words like curb appeal and open concept and, and move in ready, right? And they have a list of must-haves. What, what are the must-haves? This is not an indictment on you. Uh, just what are the must-haves that you've heard uh, people are looking for in a house? 
finished basement. Are there basements in Southern California? <laughs> I would love a finished basement. That's, that's a... What else? Parking spot. I just want a parking spot. I just, if, you, if I could just park my car someplace, what other must-haves you look for in a house? New kitchen, upgraded kitchen, walk-in closets, dishwasher. Uh, is that really asking too much? I just, uh, what do we got? Granite countertops, maybe, stuff like that, right? People have a list of must-haves, and some are more extravagant than others. Uh, but what I wanted to do this morning is to give you my list of must-haves. If you want to have a house, have a life, have a heart that's hospitable, that's open, that's available, because it's a big difference from having a nice, cool, beautiful house to having a warm, friendly, welcoming home, right? I mean, you can have all the stuff. You can have the open concept where there's like just toilets are exposed. You know, there's like no privacy. It's just, it's just everything. You can have the finishes, and it could all just be dialed in, the speakers and the surround. You could have it all, and yet no one is welcomed in your home. But what would it look like if we had lives, had hearts, and had homes that were open to people, that were hospitable? If we're going to be those kinds of people, I want to suggest to you that there's a few must-haves that you're going to want for your life marked by hospitality. The first is to be uncluttered. Uncluttered. Hoarders is another show. <laughs> and uh, I've actually been in someone's house that was, wow, uh, that was like, you, I could barely walk through. There was like these little passageways and then the, the, the boxes and the stuff, it was just stacked up to like shoulder height everywhere you went. There was just so much stuff in this house. And I'm not I'm being critical of this. I'm just making a practical observation. Here's the reality. If you live like that, people don't come in. If your house is full up to here, no one can find their way in. If your house is messy all the time, people don't feel welcome when they're inside, right? I have, uh, I, I have a desk that's messy right now. And it's, it's, I mean, it's not terrible, but there's stuff like in stacks along the edges on the perimeter. And it's, for me, it's, it, it gets on my nerves because I believe that the exterior is an indicator of the interior. And I believe that if my stuff is kind of scattered and cluttered on my desk like it is right now, uh, that there's a little bit too much chaos, a little bit too much busyness. So I'm not focusing enough and eliminating the extra stuff from my life so I can focus on what matters most. And I get just frustrated with myself. I'm like, I don't have, I, I got all this stuff going on and I don't have time to clean this off. It's just an indicator to me that I'm, maybe I'm going in a little bit too fast of a clip or maybe I need to reprioritize a little bit. Think about your own life. Think about the ways that that plays out in your car, in your home. And just, is, is the exterior an indicator of an internal reality? And is clutter, whether it's physical clutter or just clutter in your heart and in your head, is it preventing you from living a life that's open and available and ready to welcome someone in? Ready to have a conversation with someone because you're just all over the place and you're just cluttered. Uh, you know, Jesus was like 
as busy as you can imagine in terms of the popularity and the people that he encountered. And he was always going somewhere with a purpose. But he always, he always paused and allowed there to be an interruption and was intentional with the individual and made that person feel special. Even if he was on his way to meet with some big, important person, he had time for who the culture would say was not an important person. The first thing to consider if you want to have a life that is marked by hospitality is being uncluttered. Another must-have for a hospitable life is looking for places to play, places to play. When I see people and they're looking for a house, they're looking for a yard, or where are the kids going to play? Is it safe? Do we have a little cul-de-sac where they can hang out? Right? We look for places to play. And I believe me, friends, our people, people around us, neighbors, people that you work with, are looking for people to play. They're looking for refreshment. And most people take themselves far too seriously and don't laugh enough, don't play enough. The Bible says that you will be refreshed as you refresh other people. There's a refreshing that happens. And, and your life, you can be a refreshment to others. Hillary helps me with this so much because she is fun and she lives in the moment and she loves to laugh and she keeps our home full of laughter. And Jack, he's just like a giggle-making machine. I mean, it's just, it's so good for my soul because I'll, honestly, my default is a little bit too much intensity, a little bit too uh, focused on the vision and on the future and here we go and here's how we're going to get there, which is great if I can also take a step back and be refreshed and let my life be refreshing to other people. That's what God wants for you. To not be so obsessed about a direction, about a future, about stuff, anxious about the things that you can't take time to laugh, to enjoy people that are around you, to keep your heart fun. A little kind of rule of thumb for me is if I find myself in a chair or on the couch too much, when my two-year-old son's around, it's probably an indicator that I'm not playing enough. And I try to move myself from the couch to the floor. And just get on the floor and just play and laugh and have fun with Jack. If you are someone who defaults a little bit toward the serious side, toward the unfun side, can I encourage you to find a kid? <laughs> Mine, maybe, for an afternoon or something. Find a kid and get on the floor and roll around and play and have a good time and make yourself silly. It's good for your soul and it makes you more approachable to other people. The third thing, if you want to have a life that is open and hospitable, is an open concept. An open concept for your life. My grandmother she, uh, she used to always have an extra place setting at the dining room table. And she would just anticipate that my dad or one of my other uncles would bring someone home for dinner. Someone who didn't have a great family environment or someone who was traveling or in town would show up for dinner or something like that. And they didn't have a lot of money, but, and the food was rarely extravagant, but they did have an extra place setting all the time. 
Every meal that she cooked, there was an extra place setting just in case. And most of the time, it was used. She just had an open concept. Just, we have an extra seat. And if there's someone else that needs food, they're welcome here. And I, I, she had three boys and a daughter. And if there's one of their friends that needs some encouragement, needs some hope, needs to be in a different kind of a family environment for the night, they're welcome here. It's an open concept kind of a life. Mother Teresa said a lot of awesome things. One of the things that she said was, the problem with the world is that we draw our family circles way too small. Put an image on your outline. If you want to glance at that, it'll be on the screen as well. What if we were people who extended our circles? What if you were intentional and thoughtful about what it meant to extend that circle? Beyond just the immediate family or beyond just yourself and your girlfriend or beyond whatever that looks like for you and extended that circle outwards. You know what would happen? You'd be able to welcome others in. You'd begin to live an open concept kind of life. The fourth thing is supernatural light. Supernatural light. You know, when people are looking at houses and they're thinking, this is, we want, you know, more lighting in here. This place is so dark. They couldn't afford a window. You know, when was this thing built? You know, there, there's, there's something beautiful about natural light being able to come in and, and light, light up the home. Just in our lives, it's the same thing. You know that the Bible says, Jesus said that we are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You are the light. You are God's light where you go. His light shines through you. The degree to which you're engaging with other people and showing up intentionally, you're bringing light and life and hope and refreshment to the places you go. Hillary and I are intentional about going out to uh, the park, and we try to go to the park um, when there's other families that are at the park. There's this park next to us and, and a little playground. And so we don't go out like when no one's there. We, we go out when we think that the biggest group are going to be there. Not because we're special, but just because we want to interact with them. And I'll tell you honestly, I'm more introverted, so I have to like gear myself up for this because I hit like my people quotient uh, sooner than you would think. And and so we make an intentional decision about go out there and just not be superheroes or like try to pray with 10 people, just, just to be light, just to be present, to be fun, to be engaging, to extend our family circle as much as we can as we're learning to from our little house and from our little family out, out, out. That's the way our church is, frankly. Our church is a light in this city, and our church is continually looking to push the circle further and invite and welcome more others in. As we talk about a new ministry space for us, it's not because we hate this one. This one's great. 
but it's because we believe that God is leading us to a time and a place where we can push this circle out, where we can extend our influence, where we can welcome more people into this family to feel like they are family, to feel like there's a place at the table. And that will always be the heart of our church, always looking to extend the circle out, welcome others in. That's what it's about. And hopefully that's what it's about for you in your own life, in your own home, with your family, with the people that you come in contact with. The fifth and final thing on my must-have list as I was thinking about HGTV this week is a laundry room. Because what you'll find and what you've no doubt found at some point is when you open up your life and you open up your heart to people... It gets messy. And it's oftentimes like a college student coming home with their big bag of dirty laundry that hasn't been washed in three months since they were last home. It stinks a little bit. You think, hey, have some personal responsibility and clean up your mess or whatever, right? No. We have a laundry room. We anticipate that when we open up our lives and open up our home to other people that there will be messiness because none of us are perfect and we're going to collide and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna mess some things up. And there's going to be people with issues. And there's going to be people who are on still at this space in their journey. And they haven't figured all this out yet. And they're not going to say all the right things. And, and whatever. Because we have a laundry room. And because love covers over a multitude of sins. And because all kinds of people should feel welcome here. And welcome in your home. And in your life. There's a uh, great story that I've heard about a church that was growing. Uh, it was similar to ours, and there were, uh, it, it had been actually around for a while, and it was an older church, and it was starting to turn a corner, and there was a pastor who was there, and he was starting to preach in a way that younger people were being drawn, and they were thinking, like, I can relate to this guy. I, I, he's talking about Jesus in a way that I can understand. He, maybe, maybe this God thing is for me, too. And so there were newer people that were starting to come. And, and some of the folks that had been there for a long time were nervous about it, and they weren't too sure how this was going to happen because they kind of liked things the way that they were. And uh, there was this one particular Sunday where this person came in, and uh, they, they didn't look very you know, presentable. It was, a, it was a younger guy, and he was tatted up, and he was raggedy in his clothes, and his hair was long and kind of half-dreaded. And he, was, he walked down the center, but the seats were already full. And so he walked down front looking for a seat, looking for a seat, looking for a seat, couldn't find a seat. And so he just sat down on the floor in the center of the aisle. And a lot of the people are looking at it like, ooh, ugh. You know, that's, is, that, is that okay? Can we do that in church? Is, this is kind of awkward and weird. And then they saw an elderly usher start to make his way down. And there were mixed emotions in the room. It was like, oh, well, he's just doing his job. Uh, is he going to give him the, uh, this is going to be awkward. You know, maybe it's okay that he stays there. Oh, but it's probably not. It'll be a distraction. And so you can feel the tension if you're witnessing something like that. And so this older Usher walks down literally with a cane, and he walks down beside this young man, and he hands his cane off to someone who's sitting in the first row, and he sits down next to the guy. 
sat with him there the whole service. And it's things like that that changed that church. And that's who our church already is. And we're just going to be more and more of that. And the invitation today, friends, is to let that be your home too. Live your life in a way that's open, that's uncluttered, that's hospitable, that allows people to be messy at times, doesn't have to have all their act together because we don't have all of our act together.